0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We shall be looking at the last verses of Philippians, starting in verse 20. Paul has basically said everything that he wants to say, and so now he's giving closing remarks. And so in verse 20, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. This is called a doxology. Doxology is an old word. Dox meaning glory. Ology meaning words of or study of. And so when you have a statement like this, it is a study of God's glory. It is a statement of God's glory. That little song we sing before the offering each week, it's titled Doxology because it is a song about praising God and giving Him His glory. Uh, It is our understanding that Paul dictated his letters. He had a scribe that followed him around. He mentions that in the book of Galatians specifically. Uh, Paul, when he was in prison, was usually chained to a guard And so he did not have a desk or anything of this nature, kind of difficult when you don't have free hand movement to write on a scroll. And so a person that we do not know hardly anything about uh, followed Paul around. Perhaps he was in the employ of Paul. Perhaps he was just someone who agreed with Paul's ministry and he was Paul's scribe. And so you can imagine perhaps that Paul is just letting, you know, letting it fly as he's let, yet it was this kind to share with my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, and he's thinking out loud as God is speaking through him for scripture, and then he gets to, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Jesus Christ. And then many commentators believe this is like an ecstatic utterance, that he is so excited about what he's writing, what is being written, what he's talking about, that he just blurts out to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. And of course, the scribe just going to be Father, glory, glory, amen. What? Did you? Oh, okay. And then he's you know, he may not even have realized he's just a good scribe writing what he's writing. And so, one question that we can ask about verse 20 is what is the application of this? What do we do with this? Uh, do I just wait until I have some sort of excited utterance? One way to, to study what this could possibly mean is to do a word study of the word glory. The word glory is throughout Scripture. There is a theme of glory in Scripture. God is the one who receives glory. God has glory. Now, there are stories in the Old Testament where a king is glorified or a prophet is attempted to be given glory, but God is the ultimate source of all glory. It says in the Old Testament that God does not share His glory with anybody. And you say, well, what does it look like when we say God is glorified? If you look at the stories and the events, you have this shimmering pillar that is above the tabernacle and that is in the temple, And that is the Shekinah glory, the shimmering glory of God. Whenever people saw God like Moses, saw his his, uh, throne room on the mountain, kind of a showing of heaven, uh, God glowed and God shined. And so the word for glory in Hebrew literally means to shine or to light up. In the New Testament, it says that Christ contained the entire glory of God the Father. But we don't believe, and the Bible's kind of clear, that Jesus did not glow in the dark, that Jesus did not glow as He's walking around, that He looked normal like we look normal. And so you have to say, well, what does it mean in that way? And people who have played with biblical languages say that one way to look at glory is that God is glorified if he is shown in contrast with something else. You had this dark, evil, idol-worshiping desert land that the Jewish people went into, and they built this tent And right in the midst of this whole land that did not know God, this big pillar of light appeared. And it was so out of the ordinary because it was in contrast to what the area was, to what the world was. Jesus, even though he didn't glow, he always spoke truth. He always was able to act without sin. He was able to do mighty miracles. And if you look at the life of Jesus versus the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the priestly class, he was in contrast to them. He was radically different from them. And so we say that is why he had the glory of God. That's why we could see it, because it is in contrast to the world. And so if we talk about how can I glorify God? How can I do things to bring glory to God? Take that view. I can do things that are in contrast to the world. I can do things differently than the world does things. Uh, Fortunately for this example we can talk about how really upside down and sinful the world is today. It is just out of control, as it were, with sin and people inventing new ways to publicly sin and we can say, well, if I don't do that, if I just don't do that but I follow a godly lifestyle, just in that way I am living in contrast to the way of the world. If I live in contrast to the way of the world, I am giving glory to God. And you say, well, who sees it? Well, God sees it. There's, our, our giving glory to God doesn't have to be on a street corner with a megaphone or on top of a building. God wants to receive glory from all of His creation. And if he's only getting it from two or three people here and two or three people there, he will accept that glory. He will be glorified by you. You get up in the morning and the first thing you do is you open your Bible and read it. For example, uh, some people do that, some people read it at night, some people read it at lunch. But you can read your Bible as opposed to I don't know, messing around on your phone, gossiping about people, talking behind people's back, doing things the way the world does things, if I am being in contrast to that by reading His Word, whether somebody sees me or not, I am giving glory to God. I am being obedient. One thing that that does when I read His Word is that is, reflecting back to God the idea that I believe what He has said, that I believe He is true, that I believe what He said is true. We are told in Scripture to read and study the Scripture. And if I do that, one message that sends to God and the spiritual realm is that I believe all this is true. I wouldn't waste my time reading a book full of myths and fantasies, as some people have said, if I did not believe it's true. The book, the Bible, is not an entertainment book. There are other books for that. If I believe everything in here is true, then spending time in it is reflecting back to God that I believe in Him that I trust Him. Then if I pray about what I'm reading, that's reflecting back to God, that I believe Him, I believe that He hears my prayers. I believe He answers my prayers. And so I am giving glory to God by declaring Him true in my actions and doing what He says, being obedient in what He says. Uh, the, The idea of We come to church and we sing songs of praise. We do things to reflect back to God. Hey, I believe you are real. I believe what you say is true. And in doing so, we give glory to God. And ultimately, when we finally make it to heaven, that's all we're going to be doing. Every breath we take, every step we take, Everything we do, because it will be in trusting recognition of God once we're in heaven and we can fully get a picture of this, will be glorifying God just by the fact that we are there. Heaven and how it's going to be set up will exist to give glory to God for all eternity. That doesn't mean that you are sitting on a cloud with a harp singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It means just by the fact that you are there, just by the fact that you believed him during this difficult and troublesome life, and you are finally in heaven, gives glory to him. One way that God has shown me that I can do this, if you you look at the Bible and you look at What Jesus said, he did say, be light. And one thing when you have light in a dark world is it creates a contrast again. If I am light in a broken and dead world, I am giving glory to God. I have had to do a lot of phone calls to uh, facilitate the moving out of administration of this church and moving out of the state of California, that there's been a lot of communication with the alarm company and banks and various people. And they always, because they're good customer service people, say, is there anything else I can do for you? And I respond now, God has showed me this, to say, well, there's nothing you can do for me, but can I pray for you? Okay? And I had one lady say no and hung up. Okay? Well, such is life. I had another lady who chuckled a bit and said, Yes, you can. I really have this need. And she began to open up about what she wanted me to pray about. Then she said, Oh, I forgot this is a recorded line. <laughs> and I said, Well, you can. Tell them I made you pray. And she said, Okay, I'll call you my pastor. And we kind of joked about that, but she was able to share and share the fact that she was a Christian and she had this difficulty that she was going through. And for this faceless voice on the phone to show compassion was in contrast. To her normal day, I believe that most people at banks and companies that answer the phone have rude people talk to them. usually don't call tech support unless you have a problem. You don't call just a chat. And I think to be somebody who can be in contrast to that, who can change the direction of her day is what God wanted me to do. And, of course, there's no way to follow up. I have no idea how this went about or anything like that. But it doesn't say we need to be light with a full program of follow-up. No, we are light and we shine in this situation and then we're done. And we shine in this situation and then we're done. And God is the one who puts all the pieces together and uses the light that you gave for this person's growth. And who knows, maybe she went and talked to her own pastor and, and you know, it grew from there. I don't know. But it, it's none of my business. It's God's business. And I just have this little puzzle piece in this person's life and I have this puzzle piece in this person's life, and if I can do something that is in radical contrast to how their day is going, I can bring in hope or love or peace to a a, a situation where they were hopeless. I bring in hope. They're hopeless. That is a great contrast. They're opposites, hope and hopeless. And God can get glory from that. Okay? Who's the one who sees it? God sees it. Does anybody else care? No, I don't care. As long as God is getting glory and He sees it and knows it, that I am giving Him glory, that I am doing my best. And if I fail here or fail there, God still gets glory because I am trying to be obedient. And so God has involvement in every area of our life. And if we just pause for a moment and we look at the blessings that we've had, we look at the miracles that have been in our life, we look at the provision that God has given us, and just thanking God and when the situation arises, you mention it to somebody that God has been so good to me. Okay? You're not beating it over anybody's head. You're just mentioning it as part of conversation. If God is always on my mind, then when I'm in conversation with a stranger or a good friend, I will mention God. I will mention the blessings of Jesus just in passing because I'm always thinking about it. And that gives glory To God. And then Paul moves into verse 21 and he says, Greet every saint. The word saint is a word in Scripture that means people who are saved. The Catholic Church has kind of elevated saints as being special people. Okay? They have to vote on them and you get people like Mother Teresa, a saint. Okay? And you say, Well, I'll never be Mother Teresa, therefore I'm never a saint. Saint means somebody who is set apart in holiness, who is set apart, who is sanctified and everybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a saint. Is a saint in God's eyes. God has a wall with everybody who believes in Him's picture on it, and these are all of His saints. We are all saints. Okay? So it's not a special thing but we are saints in Jesus Christ I am a saint I am sanctified I am saved because of Jesus Christ not because of anything I did not because of a particular church but because of Jesus Christ it is all from Jesus Christ and apart from Jesus Christ I have nothing and so Paul is telling the church at Philippi Any other Christian you meet, greet them. Greet them in my name, greet them in your name, greet them in the name of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a camaraderie of the Christians in Philippi. And that is kind of the point about the church. The church is a community where for a little bit of time every Sunday we can gather together and know that, hey, these people are on the same page as me, as you. We are all saints in Christ, and for at least a little while, we can look around and think, I'm not alone in this world. There are other people. And then as the community gets tighter, we can do things like change addresses and exchange phone numbers and things like that. And we can communicate outside of church because having support from one another, or having, hey, I'm going through this, and they say, hey, I'm going through this, or how do I pray about this? Well, you pray, you know, and we can talk about various things about God, which gives him glory because other groups that get together do not talk about God like church people. He says, the brothers who are with me greet you. Paul is not alone. We know that various people had visited him in prison in Rome. And he is saying, them also, they will greet you and they will probably hand carry the letter because there was no other way to get letters around back then except you put it in your satchel and get on a boat and go give the letter to somebody. It says, all the saints greet you. So there is a, we call it the church universal. There are saved people in every nation and every language group on this planet. And they are all your brothers and sisters in Christ. I have seen various, uh, now you have them on YouTube. used to have books. Now you have them on YouTube of people who, as missionaries, go to places like Ghana, and they go to help a church being built, and they just instantly are brothers and sisters. They instantly love one another because of the things that Christ has done to show his love for them. We do not need to find common ground when we find other Christians, our Christianity is the common ground then he says especially those of Caesar's household now this is phenomenal this is unknown Caesar is an well he's a polytheist he believes in wrong gods Caesar is and Caesar's household Caesar's servants and stuff had to believe the way Caesar believed to survive you know you don't go witness to a tyrant emperor like Caesar who at this time was probably Nero. You've heard things about Nero, not a great guy. You don't go witnessing to Nero, he'll cut your head off or set you on fire. But what had happened was they put, as I said in the first part of the book, Caesar put his personal bodyguards to guard Paul because Paul was so dangerous. And so, day in and day out, Paul's witnessing to these guards, and they probably wished he would shut up, but he kept witnessing and witnessing and witnessing. He got to know them as they rotated through, and little by little, they came to a saving grace. They came to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, and through his witness as a prisoner He was bringing the gospel to people who never would have heard it. And so what do they do? Well, they go back to the barracks and they talk, Hey, Paul said this. And they are leading people to Christ. And then as they rotate through Caesar's household, because the bodyguards would go into Caesar's household and guard him there, they would talk to the cook. And they would talk to the chambermaid and they would talk to the various other people that were supporting the emperor and they were getting saved. And there was a very underground, quiet revolution of Christianity going on in Rome at this time because God put Paul in prison. I don't want to be in prison but hey, you're saving hundreds, thousands of people who otherwise would be going to hell without Jesus Christ. Then he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We do all of this through the grace of Jesus Christ. How am I saved? I am saved by grace through faith, it is not of works. Therefore, nobody can boast. I am saved by grace. I am sanctified by grace. I live by grace. Everything I do for God is through His grace and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so for Paul to wish that the grace of our Lord, not just Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, the spirit that is within each of us, is what brings about the action. We have to believe it before we do it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible is clear that your Christianity, your Christian outworking starts inside. And so Paul's prayer is that God would fill your spirit with grace so that you can live for him more every day. Let us pray. God Almighty, we just praise you for this. I pray that you would just give us the grace and the power to live for you every day, that we may do things like read our Bible, reflect on it, and pray that we may meet with other Christians outside of of church, and that we would stay in church so that we can learn and grow in you. And I pray that you would fill your, you would put your grace in the hearts and the spirit of all those who are here today. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen.